0: Welcome to a particularly special Abbey Talks podcast episode. Two Sligo natives in the control room studio, both award-winning in their respective fields. Michael Murphy, writer, director, chameleon, and film and small screen miracle worker, Dervla Walsh. It is a joy to listen to them cherish small-town living, champion ageless hearts, and celebrate the life-affirming production that is The Man in the Woman's Shoes. Come see the show. It's pure bliss. Now... If only you could capture a smile and broadcast it. Enjoy this podcast. So, Michael, it's the morning after the night before. Mm -hmm. And uh, if this were a webcast instead of a podcast, people would be able to see how I spent an hour last night, which was like this. Mm. So um, I, from the opening moments of hearing the lambs and the bees and um, it was just magical. And I was transported back to the slag of my childhood and saw my grandfather um, uh, literally out um, feeding the chickens and he had bees as well. And um, I even saw my dad, who's now the age of my grandfather, that I remember, and um, his card playing friend John Willie with the short leg and the four fingers who always wins the tricks at 25. So um, I was um, I was just wondering, which came first, your your own... Um, warm memory of your Sligo upbringing or the hard work of going out and talking to owl ones and drinking cups of tea and recording what they were saying and thinking there's an idea in this?
1: Um, I guess, you know, the way you talk about it in terms of the affection you have for your grandfather and, and your dad and all those people that, uh, you know, make up part and parcel of that community that you grew up in, I think those things are always in you. And uh, I guess over the course of my working life in terms of the theatre that I've made I think those people, they emerge all of the time. You don't you don't necessarily acknowledge exactly who they are or I think you take little bits and pieces of all these wonderful people that you meet along the way. So they were always in me I guess but when I got the commission from, from the Hawkswell Theatre in Sligo and the, the Sligo Arts Office to make a piece for at that festival, older people engaging with the arts which happens every May in Ireland. Um, I think it just was it was very na- a natural you know progression to make a work that would you know uh, be Sligo based it was terrific for me someone was you know commissioning me to make a work in my home county and it was only natural then that I was going to go and uh, record honor you know just you know document uh, a certain time in my life when I was very very you know happy young and saw all these wonderful characters around the town so it just it, it was a very natural thing I didn't really um Plump for one idea over the other, but when they asked me to make a commission and to visit older folks' groups, it was only natural then that I was going to actually start talking to them about the place and the the countryside, the landscape, the people, the phraseology, the vernacular. Uh, so it all it coalesced really nicely.
0: And did you did you the piece is so kind of beautifully and meticulously observed? Mm. Did you? <laughs> You must have fallen in love with people and you must have, I mean, there's so much in it, Mm. but there must be so much you left out as well. I mean, the hard work of just the the, the research, how did you negotiate that?
1: That's interesting in the sense that when when I got the first commission, I knew that I was commissioned to, to... Play five shows and five shows only. One of which was going to happen in the Hawkswell Theatre, but the other four were happening in country halls, in daycare centres. Uh, the world premiere was in the foyer of St John's Hospital in Sligo. So what was that like? It was unbelievable, actually. Like, because did it
0: smell as well as sound? Interesting. Absolutely. There?
1: <laughs> and I was standing in front of the toilets and behind my audience, which was a little semicircle of people who are resident there at the moment. There was the sliding doors to reception, and beyond that there was the cafe. So and it was broad daylight, and so. The there was there was nowhere to hide absolutely nowhere to hide and you had to tell the story and, and create these characters for people and it was actually a very very interesting you know launch for it it was something because, yeah, cause you don't have
0: yeah, exactly you don't have kind of the um, the etiquette of like somebody got up in the middle of, at the end of last night's show yeah. and um, we were all appalled and I yeah. don't know if you noticed my sister and I constructed this uh, fiction that he must have been a doctor and he just got a text to say somebody's life was in danger because yeah. that was the only reason <laughs> he could leave the show before ten minutes before the end but I was wondering you know when you know it, it's such a it's such a disciplined yeah. atmosphere. The theatre yeah. to perform out of that yeah. and in a in a waiting room in a hospital.
1: Yeah, I found it. I, I found it. You know, I loved it because. Uh, it's real it Mm. is really real like I mean you know lots of people we know and people listening to this as well will actually be well used to going to the theatre and there are sort of conventions and rules that go with as you say if a man gets up and has to go you have to believe there's something wrong with him or he's a very important surgeon and he has to do the surgery now or whatever It's not the show it's It's not not my performance Yes exactly it can be of course (laughs) people can leave because they think it's rubbish but but in that that scenario where you're in hospitals and you're in daycare centres and it's broad daylight there is nowhere to Mm. hide Mm. and you can see people's faces so you can see them sort of nodding off and getting bored and all that mm. sort of stuff. Like that or getting excited or being engaged. So it's it's actually quite a it's quite a thrill. It's quite a you know it's it's um, it gives you a different type of adrenaline rush to being in a theater with it with a with a, a, a an audience that's very used to being in a theater. Um, but it was it was the research of it was really gorgeous because the theme that I was given was laughter. So it always meant that any group I went to, I was always talking to them about things that were positive, that were uplifting, that were funny, you know recording vernacular phrases that were just outlandish and you couldn't believe that people say these things and what's lovely about it is when we meet people after the show you know people come up to you and say oh my grandfather used to say such and such and uh, and my wife keeps saying like by the time you know we finish with the show it'll be about four hours long because people yeah. keep saying the most delightful phrases to us because mm-hmm. we've been gathering them ourselves and they want to tell you what yeah, such and such yeah. used to say. And it was, you know, you just, I could do 10 shows.
0: And know. I wondered about that, about recording people's personal testimonies, that the Sligo we we see and which is so familiar, and you don't have to be from Sligo to, to recognize it, it's remembered with such fondness. There is, are no darknesses, there are no shadows. It's far from Sebastian Barry's, some of his stories mm-hmm. are. Um, and is that because one tends to remember their childhood through rose tinted glasses or is that your own sensibility is that something you take to it
1: yeah it's my own sensibility really i i'm i'm Blessed in the sense that I had an idyllic childhood. I'm a happy person. I like seeing, you know, all the brilliant, fun possibilities and things. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. if I'm let loose and I get to make theatre, you know, a, a choice of my own as to what I want to do next in a in a in a piece, I tend to head for things that are lighthearted, that are funny. It's my it's my bag, if you like. As a performer, I'm known as a person who, you know, shouts and falls down holes, and you know, slapstick is is a big thing with me. So I really like making people laugh. I really like Mm. making people feel that that was a positive experience for them. And I work with amazing people like Ender Walsh, whose work is incredibly dark and difficult at times. Uh, But at the same time, I think uh, he has tremendous humour always put beside the bleakness, you know what I mean? And I, I, I think, you know from time to time you owe it to an audience to allow them come into a theatre and enjoy themselves. Now, the great theatre aesthetes and the great theatre critics and the people who believe themselves to be the great thinkers in theatre like will poo-poo sentimentality oh gosh, and, yes. and write it off as something which yeah. is absolutely not... Yeah. Uh, effective mm-hmm. um, I f- and I'm cheap they felt cheap. that was cheap which this show was
0: certainly far from cheap uh, I'm,
1: I'm incredibly disappointed with that yeah. because it, it, it's lazy of yes, them yeah. like you know you, uh, uh, Leslie Nielsen or someone who has that ability in terms of comedic acting will never win an Oscar mm-hmm.
0: for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. win an Oscar mm-hmm. because
1: mm-hmm. an Oscar has to be given to a certain you know mm-hmm. level of per- a person who has you know sits in a wheelchair or mm-hmm. or, or, or loses their memory or yes. loses <laughs> their memory or, or something terribly dramatic whereas my my natural bent is to head for something which is, you know, comedic, uplifting, and, and positive. You know, just to reassure people that actually living is, you know, getting up at ten o'clock in the morning, or nine o'clock in the morning, or eight o'clock in the morning, and going to bed at that, you know, ten or eleven at night, takes quite a, it's quite a, a, a feat.
0: And what about your, um, your development process? You mentioned Enda there, and the last few times I've seen you has been, you know, either your work with Enda or mm. for Enda, yeah. and, um, uh, um. This seems such a lone project. Yeah. I mean, A, it's written and performed. There's no director credit, interestingly. Um it's per, it's made for, for touring. I think it's got three props, three sets of shoes and a yeah. and a shoehorn at the end of a at the end of a stick. Um, no costume changes and you, you use up about six feet squared if if that of mm-hmm. the um you go for a five mile walk but you never move more than a than a few feet. Yeah. Um uh, do you who do you work with? You work with a script editor, other actors, with
1: mm, with on this, no one other than myself. Like I, I I'm, um, I'm a very sociable person, mm-hmm. so you know, I'm, I'm well able to, you know. Be in company and talk to people and sort of stuff like that, but I enjoy um, I'm, I enjoy being on my own quite a lot as well. And specifically in this business and the nature of the way that you know we focus on people who are in that kind of business in film or television or theatre and sort of stuff like that. I quite like being a non seen person. You know, I actively avoid, you know, the opening night things and all those sorts of things. Mm. Not because I'm shy, but just because it's not really Mm. my thing. And so when I was offered this job, I was delighted. I got to spend three months in Sligo, driving around the countryside uphill down Dale and meeting people all over the place in Ballantore and at Cliffony and all that sort Mm. of stuff. And I was in my element and Mm. I think the personal journey of being with people, you know, one person listening to these people, these people in their groups talking to me about their lives and all that, I thought that was a very, Mm affecting thing and and I think it went into the writing I think the nature of the central character in the play is such that I think he is his sensibilities his sensitivities are such that I think I was trying to honour all the things that I really loved in that generation of people that I was meeting and they're mum and and dad's generation and I'm incredibly fond of them so I really wanted to honour them
0: and do people um, do people at home recognise themselves in it. I mean, I'm from down the road from you and I've actually never done any work locally and I think one of the reasons is I'm afraid of offending um, mm. the neighbours because I know I'll be told when mm. I go down the town for a pint of milk. Listen, there, they be cut down to size. Yeah. So So, um, so a lot of my work is is abroad, and I think take the sensibility of being from a from a small community in the west of Ireland to kind of a, you know, the urban sprawl of Manchester or or, or, or London or yeah. wherever. Um But I have never had the courage to put the people that I. Love and um, and think particular thoughts about on the on on the screen. So, mm-hmm. what about your fear or excitement about about that? Well,
1: I, I suppose what I did was uh, there are a number of characters in the play on uh, and I would know the I would know the characters on whom those people were based, but they're quite heavily fictionalized away from the original characters. But also, like you saw the play, and we were talking about it uh, a little bit earlier as well. I I was at the advantage of knowing that the play that I was going to make about these people was oh each of them each of those people was going to come out of this play in a positive light. So to some extent, even if there are you know relations, maybe grandchildren, all the people really that are in the play that I'm that I'm that I'm honouring, I suppose, are are dead now. And uh, if their grandchildren will say I came to see it, as some of them did at one stage about one of the characters, um, I think they they recognise the fiction and they also will be very content with the fact that even if it is a fictional version of the grandmother or whatever it is that she's portrayed in a really positive light I would have the same fear as you if I was to attack something very dramatic and Mm -hmm. serious like there are some stories from our county that if you and I ever dramatised them or made them into films or TV things you and I would be so nervous about mm-hmm. approaching certain subjects, you know. That well, we all
0: recognise Granard. Do you yeah, know in yeah. that why a community shuts down and protects Absolutely. and reacts to the, you know, the outsider? Yeah. My mum came from Glenamaddy in Galway and married um, my father from outside Tubber, and she spent forty-seven years in Tubber and always felt an yeah. outsider. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so got involved in every committee going to kind of try and get into the fabric of the town, but was always the Galway woman, and yeah. so we know that the. I mean, uh, we. Our comment was in tupacuri and Banada was out the road, and we were, you know, they were they were from the outside, and we were from the yeah. inside. Yeah. So, it, so it's very interesting that kind of how we how we protect how we protect ourselves.
1: Oh yeah, like I am uh, but, but I I would be fascinated in the same way as you would be to to know whether or not it would be possible to go and make stories. I suppose the stories always originate somewhere, do you know what I mean? So if you and I have a discussion about developing a project and you say, would we base it on such and such a story? And you and I know well what the Mm -hmm. story is. I think our first instinct is then to try and actually give ourselves the possibility in terms of Mm -hmm. form and structure Mm -hmm. uh, of doing what we would like, you know, and and, and picking out the key, uh, the essence of that story and the drive and the dramatic arc of that story Mm -hmm. by... Moving away from the source in order to fictionalize, so that we can that we can work, uh, br- we can work a little bit more mm. to our advantage within that story. So if you're very specific and you you know it's based on a true story and it's absolutely fact for fact, you're in dangerous territory mm. because it limits you to some extent. But
0: this is this is so specific um, mm. and well observed and local to to Sligo that it works so. So uh, the themes are so universal and intergenerational and and, and, and cross cultural. Do you, have you found you've got different responses from audiences around the country? And I know you've performed in New York as well. Does it does it play differently in different places? Uh, not
1: particularly. I think I think he's um, the central character is so self contained. I think. Um, and he's also quite attractive in the sense that there's nothing terribly negative about him. And I also should say that as, as I was writing, there's a conceit in the play that makes um, him specifically, you know, uh, more appealing, I think, in some ways to an audience. Um, I won't tell you what it is in case, you know, listeners haven't uh, haven't seen the show. But when I was writing the show, I wanted to make it very much something that you would only meet or uh, have possible to you in terms of uh, an experience. Uh, as a theatrical experience, a spe- specifically a theatrical experience. And when I came across this conceit, uh, which I won't tell you about, it's a very small conceit, I realised I was in because I had something which was inherently theatrical.
0: Are there any uh, influences or how do you draw now from your early training at the Lecoq School? Uh, because there's elements of the show that if you're reading it on paper, um, you could it would possibly make a gorgeous radio play, yeah. And um, yet, having seen the show, it is absolutely a theatrical experience, and it was so three dimensional. I actually felt I was watching a movie. I was at the theatre. Mm. Um, I started the night with a big smile on my face, and I ended it with a tear in my eye, and I felt warm and fabulous um, ever since. Mm. So, um, what um, what do you what do you still draw on from your early training? Uh, when I was in Paris
1: with the Jacques Lecoq one of the things that he said to us and that would have been in the late 80s was that theatre makers now have to you know and that was in the late 80s reclaim the theatricality of theatre because what had been happening with you know uh, you know kitchen sink dramas etc was that we had gotten into very hyper very realistic dialogues very realistic situations uh you know almost you know melodrama in a soap opera way uh probably you hope um slightly above the level of you know some of the soaps although some of the soaps are fantastic in terms of the writing and the acting etc but I, I i wanted to write something that as you say wasn't going to sound like a radio play. It could be delivered as a radio play. Because I'm the only actor on stage and because I play multiple roles, that's one one uh, theatrical virtue is that people see me play multiple roles and I'm hopefully convincing in all of those roles. But also, to, to have something that was not going to be a radio play, I needed to come across a, a conceit which I have with the central character. He has something about him that means that you can only encounter that Idea in a theatre, and it's not a ma- an amazing conceit. It's just something terribly simple about him, but it means that the audience, as individuals, have an intimacy with the character that even his best friends can't have. And mm. I think that's what makes it uh, that what that's what makes it you know worthy of of, of presenting live in a theatre situation.
0: Mm. It's really very clever as well, and I, I I hope we've spoken about it obliquely enough that people mm. listening will. Uh, will rush to the show and um, go. Ah, oh, that's what it's. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a, there's there's a couple of wonderful, wonderful uh, surprises uh, in in the show. The story is so about love, and he says, um, "My heart doesn't age." It's yeah. Like it's it's an old man speaking, yeah. and having worked with a few old people in my mm. day, and quite recently, mm. a couple of very old but young at heart and fabulous. Um, artists they never talk about being old no. and we did a script about uh, a story about the last um a last chance at love and the script itself never references mm. being old and I, and i was really struck about a similar approach yourself into uh, to the work and 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 the central character feels so young even though he's quite bent over his mm. hands i mean mm. I, I it's the first time i've seen you be old mm. michael cuz you always are kind of young mm. and clowning mm. around but your physicality the way you lean forward to into the um audience and your hands shaking your your you're, you know he's a cobbler so his hands yeah. seem almost too big for his body yeah, they have yeah, yeah. got a shake in them yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. Um, but and it appears that you get younger as the show as 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 the show goes on. Um so I'm so it's about love so I'd kind of like you to talk a, a little about that but also it's about time yeah. and people having lots of it and yeah. being able to be in the moment of it when our lives there's just never enough time yeah. and we fear yeah. I think the thing we fear about getting old is time and yeah. having too much time in our hands. Yeah. But he's so able to be in the moment and use time to live and be young. Mm. And I, I was really really affected yeah. by that.
1: Yeah, well I, I think a lot of that stuff came really from my encounters with the with the groups that I was asked to meet as part of the, the development process. So when you go out to Ballantoja and you sit with Angela and all the gang that were in that group that I met, like you're sitting with wonderful people who have all lived lives, you know, 25 30 years more of life than I have or less now because I'm getting older but it's their, um, they don't have any sort of time scale, time limit, time, uh, you know, uh, functioning which, 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 uh, which puts a barrier between them and living. And I think one of the things that recurred in terms of just, you know, I wanted to talk to them about, about you know, life, living life, the humour of living life and also and the nature of ageing because it was a Balthanna project and I was interested in talking to them about their lives as they get older. But their hearts don't get old. And that's Mm, the key mm, thing is mm, that, yes, mm -hmm. physically we accept that, you know, I need glasses now, et cetera, et cetera. You move a bit slower and sort of stuff like that. But really, um, it's a mindset and and people won't get old as long as they have that activity and that that, um, ability to pursue, you know, interests. And so I was always meeting people who were active uh, in coming to a place every Tuesday because they were going to the group, if you understand what Mm -hmm. I mean. So anyone I ever met in those groups they were always going to be upbeat and positive because they got themselves out of the house to come down to play cards to drink tea to do whatever it was their activity was Mm. and um, I find that very uh, uh, very reassuring you Mm. know what I mean because Mm. we don't as you say we move at a million miles an hour Mm. now and Mm. everything Mm. that we get fed in terms Mm. of radio in terms of TV like we're saturated at a very high level Uh, to our advantage, we're developing an extraordinary ability to process visual imagery and audio stuff. Like we can hear, you know, multi-layered stuff or see multi-layered images and process them all in the blink of an Mm -hmm. eye. And I actually take advantage of that in in the play in the sense that there are times when I play three characters in the space of five seconds mm. and I expect because of the way the audience has been conditioned from watching television and stuff like that, that they will see as quickly as I can produce mm. the characters so I can produce, you know I think I can I can move incredibly quickly between characters mm. and be reassured that you will see them all individually
0: um, And you do achieve that and I associate you Mike with both the work like Barabbas and er- mm. the early days of Barabbas and um, recently in Valley Turk and, and, and when I bump into you on the street with a man who moves a million miles an hour and your brain is jumping and blah, blah, blah. so I was really taken and impressed with the stillness yeah. of, of Pat and your your um performance mm. of that and the the, the, the concentration uh, the affection and the confidence. I really, really believed you were an old man mm-hmm. last mm-hmm. night. And so is that as an artist when your instincts are so? Yeah, just kind of. Take me through the kind of the, the process of achieving that, of slowing your brain and slowing. I'm sure it must be obvious in one way, but last uh, night I was really yeah. struck. Whereas most people are mo- are overwhelmed at how quickly you yeah. can and move, yeah. and as the, even the way you refer to three characters in, in five seconds. Yeah. That's the Michael Murphy I know. The Michael Murphy yeah. I don't know is the granddad. I yeah. saw my granddad last yeah, night. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think I'll I, I, I refer back to even, you know, when I was saying earlier on that, you know, I like spending time on my own as well. And when I do, and people aren't. Around, around me, that time is very, very still for me. It's very sedentary, do you know what I mean? So I'm not on the go a million miles an hour all the time. Then obviously when I'm working or I'm engaging with people or I meet you on the street and we have two or three things both on the go Mm -hmm. and we have a chat, we go away from one another thinking Mm -hmm. she's a devil, he's doing loads of stuff and you think my God, Michael's up to loads of stuff. Yes we are because we're always developing ideas but I suppose I have a facility to actually slow right Mm -hmm. down and be very, very steady and this happens to be an older man who walks... Five miles to town one day to deliver a pair of shoes to a, uh, a woman who's the manager of a Gaelic football team, and he's not going to move fast. This guy, Do you mm. know what I mean? He's just going to mm. take his time. He's going to walk. He sets out mm. nice and early, mm. and he's going to arrive at a certain mm. time. Um, And I think physically you sometimes need to, you know, just to, you know, have these counterpoints. There are times when I'm going to change character three or four times very, Mm -hmm. very quickly. And then the audience needs time to, and the the, the theatre time to have, you know, space. And and I need to reassure them. I need to calm them down. I need to move them at my pace. And it's interesting that you said earlier that at the beginning I look very old and I I almost get younger as the play goes on. Mm -hmm. But the events of the play, you know, spark him up and give him a little Mm -hmm. bit of um, Mm -hmm. rejuvenation, Whereas mm. at the beginning of the day, technically as an actor, I need to introduce you to what the pace of this man is. And I need to, you to, to be very steady with me and nice and calm with me as we begin. Mm. And then later on, when I get you up to speed and you trust me, you have confidence in me to take you through this story, then I can actually move mm. on a little bit quicker with you. And it's, to some extent, this technique. But but when you ask specifically about the man and the nature of the man, he's an incredibly calm, self-contained man. And you have to honour that. You mm. can't make him mm. any more physically, you know, agile or gamey or quick mm. than he is.
0: Mm. We see that man all the time at home, I think. I mean, mm. I saw so many neighbours. Sometimes when we see that man on the streets of Dublin or the... I get really sad because yeah. <laughs> to me it's a lonely image. I don't know whether I'm taking uh, romanticism from the West that when a man is out alone and walking the streets and there, there's an appreciation of, of the fields, the counting the cattle in the fields, or the mm. flowers, or, or, or the bees, and and how you know each field normally has a name, and yeah. the Red Mickey lives there, or yeah. the Galulis or. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm really. Uh, I I really find it difficult to see the same thing in the city because I yeah. think of something lonely and bleak yeah. is that something I'm taking to it or no I think
1: like I mean it's interesting that you used the, you know, the word romantic in relation to it because I think I have the same uh, romanticism and it doesn't mean romantic as in you know the classic sense somehow you romanticise around certain things and I think you're right I think if I see a man from the country in this city and there's the slightest sense of loneliness about him, I think I extrapolate that and I go, okay that man wants to be back home in the fields where the fields all have their individual names and you know, there's two miles between him and his neighbour and that's not necessarily a better place for him to be. Yeah, yeah. But I think you and I come from that sort of culture and we come from that background and there's a degree to which you understand the sort of the being out in nature and being very close to nature and just how sometimes steadying that is and sometimes uh, how life of Affirming that is and if you think that there's a person who's out of that place uh, you I think you want to believe mm. them to be, happier if there were be, mm-hmm. if someone could put mm-hmm. them back in that yeah. place you know I remember uh, I used to live on North Great Georgia Street and occasionally just for the fun uh, myself and Anthony used to go up to what was called the nurses dance at, at one stage yes, in Barry's yeah. Hotel yes. it had to be changed because it was seen as sexist so they called <laughs> it Doc's Night Out yeah. um, ah, ah, sexist
0: and we, the other way yes yeah, sexist <laughs> the other way
1: but we went up to see I don't know um, Declan Nerny or some of the big country and western people at the time and the place was jammed I've seen
0: Philomena there oh, in, in my day it's magic it's magic <laughs>
1: but the place was jammed with folk and a lot of people, you know, who are living in the city but actually are from mm-hmm, down the country mm, mm. and they're going to jive and mm, that's their thing. Uh, but there are a couple of guys wandering around there in shiny brown suits with the you know the tie from the 1960s and sort of stuff like that. Uh, still with the hair with the brill cream in it, and you're going, Should I be really sad that this guy is trapped in time somehow, if you understand mm, what I mean? Yeah. And, and 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 you can't be, that's the way his life is, and you know, some lives are, are you know. You suspect that there's a little sadness in some of those lives. Like in in Pat Farnon, interestingly, the central character in my play at one stage says, um, um, well, I I won't say it actually because I'll give the game away, but but there's a a tiny little hint that there was something in his past, let's say, that affected him. And he never mentions it again. Mm. And some people say, isn't it interesting that he said that but he never mentioned it Mm. again? And I say, yes, because as a writer, I have to believe that in, 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 in real life encounters, that you might sit with somebody and have a great chat with them and they might say a half a sentence that lets you know that there's something that they don't necessarily want to talk about, yeah. but that it yes, is there in the yeah, background of their yeah. lives. And people are incredibly sensitive to those things yes, about yeah, other human yes. beings because they are those things yes. that they deal with yeah. themselves.
0: And the silence speaks volumes yeah. and everybody has a version yeah. of Absolutely. everybody else yeah. they need if they fill in the gaps yeah. if they don't know what they are they make them up and yeah. you're aware of mm. that it's a
1: and I think it's I think it's that fascination with being human of of trying to you know represent yourself or understand yourself in relation to how other people are functioning so if somebody displays you know I, I have learned only late in my life and somebody should have told me you know, when I was in my twenties, would have helped an awful lot. Although discovering it in your late forties is is kind of a, a hell of a thing. Is that sometimes I find that the people who annoy me most are the people who display exactly what it is that I dislike about myself.
0: Well, it's called your mother yeah. or your father, yeah, isn't exactly. it? exactly. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. In some or respects, people who wind you
1: up are the people who display exactly the behaviour of things.
0: Sorry, or your or your your kids. If you yeah. look, I mean, I yeah. don't have children, but if you know your experience of growing up and that you're all from the same genetic you know the same gene pool yeah and your mum and dad has different relationships with each yeah. of the kids and the one that irks them is the one that's most like yeah, yeah, them yeah. and the one that they get on best with is the one that's most like yeah, them. <laughs> it's yeah. fascinating. No, it's,
1: it is completely fascinating but uh, outside that, you know, sort of the familial thing as well, it's it's just the nature of us is that that when you see somebody and uh, you, you encounter them for the first time, you know, there are antennae which are there, which are, you know, reading the physical body language of the mm. person and also listening to the way in which they express themselves around certain ideas or how quick they are to get into a discussion about politics or the, you know, all those myriad of things that make you know life so complex and and really all the, the process for you then is about situating yourself within that complexity and in relation to the show and the characters then I, I really think that part of our process as you and I as creative people is to try and and um, learn how it is you Darvila or Michael, you know, makes observations and then moves quickly to hone, you know, our own personal sense of a series of observations and then try and translate them to an actor to play a character or as a writer to try and put them into a script and, and, uh, and somehow leave uh, enough opportunity for your audience to see themselves within that situation.
0: I think there's a scene, I mean there's many scenes that uh, is the distillation of, of that point but one again that I found quite affecting is when he's asked by his cousin to go and tell... The bees yes. about the death. Yeah, yeah. Um and that her children are too young yeah. to, to do it. And yeah. in, in, in the tradition the child would have done it. And so I really went walks down the fields with her and uh, and him and, 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 and the and the two kids. Mm. And in that moment I felt I was the character who said nothing in mm. the scene, which yeah. was the, the nephew, the, the yeah. young boy. Yeah. And that I would take that moment that memory with me all through my life of watching Mm. my uncle who I had a a relationship with speaking to the bees and even how he did it it was both magical and affecting and touching so there's a child's interpretation of that and then as an adult watching it that was like it's like the moment you remember when you saw your father cry or I remember being at my uncle's wedding and I was my granny's pet and she was Roaring, crying as they were being waved off, and I was—I went, Nanny, why, why are you sad? Why, why are you crying? I'm crying because I'm so happy. I was like, that makes no sense. But there's my as I get older now. Of course, I realise she's losing a son to another to another woman while still being while still being joyous. So, but that that's a very magical moment, and Mm. yet affecting and. I, was that a story that somebody told yeah, you? or It actually, seems like a can
1: No, yeah, but it is actually. So it's a well-known thing that I had never come across. But RTE was 50 and in their brilliant wisdom, they put up archive stuff on the web. Mm-hmm. And there was a documentary. I must actually find out to my shame. I, I, I just watched it on the web and I didn't make notes really as to who made the documentary. But in the documentary, uh, a very simple documentary about a man who had married a woman from 12 miles over the road and they had moved in with his parents. Uh, there's a shot of his dad in the garden in his beekeeping uniform at one stage and he he, tur- he looks down the lens and he says uh, around here it's a tradition that when someone dies that a family member must notify the bees and I was totally transfixed by it as an idea it made total sense to me mm. for some reason but I was just amazed that in this country there are just beautiful things like that happening in people's lives yeah. and in in the countryside where people have these traditions with, you know, with nature and the connection with mm. nature and animals and all that sort of stuff. And I realised subsequently that it's a, it's a tradition in many countries that mm. the bees are very often mm. the people to whom you go. Like recently, I think, if I'm not wrong, there was a new abbot cho- um, chosen in, in one of the in one of the, uh, the abbeys here, in the Yes, i And yes. I think the the man who keeps the bees. That's the, right. One of I the think most, his job. We one of part of his job around the time. That the, the the new abbot was being chosen was to go and tell the bees that yes. they were going to be about the business of choosing an abbot.
0: It's a really, really a beautiful tradition, and yeah. sat very nicely beside what was a kind of a healthy cynicism many of the characters had on the church.
1: There you go, and, and I think without that's it being an
0: attack of the church, yeah. but it was interesting. They were all mass going, but yeah, there was yeah. a healthy cynicism.
1: And I think that's it. I think that's a really uh, it's a brilliant thing about Irish people is that we do have a tradition of being you know pantheists ahead of God fearing people, and then you know in the late 1800s, we became quite, you know, focused on and quite led by a church that takes a hell of a whack in these days because of all the things that have happened recently Ryan and Murphy reports and all that stuff. And it's It's the Jew, uh, it's their Jew in some respects, you know, for for these strictures that they they imposed on people. But I think Irish people still had this really healthy connection with, you know, some sort of pagan Mm rites, some sort of pagan Mm -hmm. rituals that were more embedded in us, you know, over centuries of, of the development of our culture that actually you couldn't avoid as well. Do you know what I mean? So, so in my show, yes, there's a cynicism, but I think it's healthy. I think it's humorous uh, cynicism around the church. But it's it, you know, and and I never wanted to make a play where people who are actually I'm um, very respectful of of the tradition that I came from. So I didn't want to diss it. I didn't want to mm. offend people of my parents' generation by being incredibly, you know, satirical or uh, you know, acerbic about it. So. Uh, but I do, I do, I, I think there's an element of my own you know, skepticism in there. But it's 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 gentle. It's not yeah. uh, it's not aggressive.
0: Mm. Um, I'm aware we're we're drawing to a close, and there's, a, there's just a, a handful of other things I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm uh, I haven't mentioned a, another one of the beauties of um, the piece because it really is a meditation of of small things and the mm. beauty of small things. The the play is about the language ah mm. uh, it's it's so accessible it's so familiar Mm. Um, I'm still like literally he talks about why does night fall and the day break I'm still getting my head around what would a chair look like if your knees were the other way round I have to ask you about what exactly does um, it mean well both sides of the house won't uh, burn yeah
1: Yeah, um, there's a a line in it and I think it was it wasn't a line that was in the play originally it was one that we picked up along the way because meeting people after the show at post show discussions people say oh sure my mother used to say and a woman told us one night that her mother used to say uh, oh sure the two ends of the house can't go on fire and effectively she was saying look your luck can't be so bad that both ends of the house would go on fire and uh, so uh, um, Kitsy Rainey one of the characters at some stage says that you know about something that she thought she'd risk it as my mother used to say the two ends of the house oh. can't go on fire and when you analyse the phrase it actually takes quite a lot of brain power to process But I, but I trust that that an Irish audience is, uh, and actually it worked amazingly in America as well, people delighted in the vernacular and they didn't necessarily need to know all of the time just, you know, the specificity of what what was the origin of the phrase, etc. And you're very right about the language. I, I, I was trying to be surreptitious about the nature of how poetic or lyrical I would be from time to time and I think the conceit that we talked about earlier about the, this thing that the char- that the about the central character this small thing about him allows me as a creative person just to push the boundaries of just mm. how lyrical I can be with the language yeah. because they'll accept it from him yes. because of his condition if you like
0: Well you said that the show is a kind of a constantly kind of organic you know that you maybe adapt it yes. occasionally for pending who the audience is so I um, I um, I, uh, wanted to uh, give you a phrase that I grew up uh, listening to my father saying and can never get my head around it but made him explain it to me and it hurt my my brain but you need a snow rope to get my sister to the pub. Yes. Hopefully she won't be listening to this because the snow rope to get my sister to the pub it means that um, uh, there's no there's no drag in her at all. But exactly. I just couldn't get... Yeah. I thought he meant you need a slow rope. Oh, no, no you need a snow, a snow rope. rope. Yeah. And the other thing is, because I love your characterization of... Um, of uh, of Kitty and the way she's constantly fixing her bra and her blouse is yeah. um, it really reminded me of Mammy's Diamonds yeah. and how we all have mothers where heard the blouse puckered and so yeah. you had the little diamond shape just yeah, um, just oozing at the and bosom. I
1: love it. I love it. And so so those are the things that when you would say something like that to me, yeah. I'd be making a mental note of. Okay, write yeah. it down straight away because you know I you know if if it becomes something that some of the characters could say, it's very likely yeah, that it'll yes. it'll end up in the in, in the in the piece.
0: Do you? This is leaping back a bit before I I leap forward to the end. Um, Do you or did you approach this project and the development of it with a writer's ear or an actor's eye?
1: Probably an actor's eye initially in terms of observation and also just my intuition about people who I wanted to record or honour or document. Uh, and and obviously, there was, there was an element of trepidation there in the sense that I'm not a writer or not known as a writer. So this would have been the first thing that I scripted, you know, entirely on my own and sat down. Oh, and it. Okay, yeah. it? interesting. Uh, I'd done a lot of devised work and scripted work within the devised works in the, you know, of the last while. But this is the first time I sat down to actually in front of a page and go, okay, let's type out stuff here.
0: And how do you marry that with the improvisation you do, because you do so much improvisation oh, yeah. Um, yeah. so is that a contradiction like do you
1: no actually in, in a weird way I have to say about this play for the most part it's scripted yeah. there are a couple of sequences in the play that on any given night uh, I will improvise uh, so last night, I, I said things last night that I'd never have said before. And, you know, if I remember them afterwards and they felt good and felt natural because I'm the only actor out there mm-hmm. uh, and I don't have to give myself a bum cue, I can, I can improvise. And also, like, I mean, very specifically about that, um, the, there's one character in it called Hubie Patterson. And Hubie Patterson has a life of his own. So as an actor, I go out there and I get into the cafe scene and Hubie is likely mm-hmm. to say anything. There's a certain structure Mm. to what, you know, there's a certain element, you know, an element of structure in terms of the script I wrote down. Mm. But Hubie doesn't stick to the script, which I find kind of weirdly fascinating because I'm an actor. I'm supposed to be the guy. Mm. And yet he takes off some nights. And do you enjoy that
0: or is that uh, nerve-wracking?
1: It's making me nervous just to to it because I... No, I really (laughs) enjoy it because he usually stays within certain parameters. But one night, like, I mean, there's a waitress in the cafe that he talks to. uh, And one night I came off and I, I said to Ethan, I said what was wrong with him tonight? You know, about a man who I played. Yes, yes. You know, because he had been slightly rude to her. And, you know, and I didn't like the fact that he was rude to her, but he just seemed to be Mm. in the humour one night. And I I trusted my instincts and just let him at it. Uh, But afterwards, I was kind of annoyed at him for having been so rude to her.
0: And, uh, Michael, do you think you'll always be a clown at heart?
1: Okay, that's a really good question. I... If I was to be very specific, I trained in the school in Paris where for six weeks you did, you know, uh, you know, you did various disciplines, tragedy, melodrama, comédia de l'arte, clown. And clown was one of those disciplines. And I haven't clowned uh, in the traditional sense of where I was trained in the school sense for years and years and years. It's all always part and parcel of what I do, some of the technique, if you understand. But I don't see myself as a clown. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of the work that I would do as a performer, you know, uh, you know, people would see elements of what it is, uh, the clown stuff in it, but uh, no, I, I tend to think of myself as an actor and maybe sometimes as a performer more than, you know, ahead of being a clown, if you understand mm. what I mean. But yeah, there's, it's unavoidable. I think I was a class clown in yes. the traditional sense and I think uh, a lot of that stuff, uh, is just ingrained in you yes. and it never, ne- never leaves you.
0: And I suppose I think as I started this conversation with you, I, I, you know, sat through your show with my mouth open last night, the way it reminded me. I started thinking I was at the circus and then moved mm. a lot of other places. So for me, unlike your, yourself, a clown is somebody that makes your heart warm and makes brings a smile and, um, you know, they're using certain tricks so there's a familiarity mm-hmm. that makes you that makes you feel good and transports you somewhere yeah. so um uh, that's the i suppose in that way you'll always be yeah. a clown and, for me yeah,
1: with, with, I'm totally comfortable yeah. and happy with that definition because really that's you know you know, if I had a, a little epiphany in terms of what I am or who I am as a performer specifically in terms of my craft in terms of my work uh, that epiphany would be around the idea that actually if I have to trust what has happened to me over the last you know, 25 years as, a, as, a, as, a, as an actor or a performer uh, the thing that I have to trust that I without patting myself on the back or bigging myself up that I do Effortlessly, or that it feels effortless to me, and that I do well, and that I enjoy—I really get a thrill out of it—is making people laugh. And and yeah, I think in the in, in your definition of, of, of what it is to be a, a clown, I think uh, the the warmth, the joy, the the humanity, the humanity and the pathos uh, that I can bring to bear on, on, on the work is the thing that I think defines defines it in that way. And uh, yeah, I'm very comfortable with that idea. Yeah.
0: And finally, um, even us girls have to learn how to do it. What's it like to walk in a pair of women's shoes?
1: Uh, I have to say, tricky, although the ones I use in this show are really, really uh, nice, really comfortable. I'll be very brief about this, but at one stage when platforms were all the rage in the nineteen seventies, my mother bought what she thought she could pass off on me as a pair of platform shoes. They were quite a high heeled shoe, but weren't anything like the cool platforms my brother and older sister had. Uh, and I nearly broke my ankles trying to walk in those yokes. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, when I was a teenager, I had a facility for walking in high shoes, and uh, occasionally I've played quite a lot of women actually over the years, um, and. Uh, I I like women's shoes. I like women's shoes. There's a lovely
0: ambiguity with the character as to why he walks in women's shoes, which is part of the delight. Um, And do you think maybe there's a little bit of, um, there's a little bit in every man um, that wants to feel what it's like to be a woman. We're getting back to Freud now again, aren't we? No,
1: I think so. Freud is good. Uh, I have to be uh, very specific about that. Uh, Ethna and myself bought a house in belin in County Sligo about uh, six or seven years ago. Her great granduncle Pat Farnan or no, not Pat Farnan that's the (laughs) character's name. Pat (laughs) Nicholson was his name and he lived over near Boyle and Pat Nicholson was a cobbler and when we talked to people locally about Pat Nicholson, one of the things that we learned about him was that you could see him on the roads walking in and at a boil and occasionally he'd be wearing a pair of women's shoes and the local people would say that he was, you know, probably, you know, stretching the shoes for the women after he'd repaired them or whatever. Now, whether the man liked wearing women's shoes or whether he was stretching the women's shoes, that was of no consequence. I was just struck by the image of a Mm. man walking the country roads of Ireland in a pair of women's shoes. And that, I was just fascinated by the image.
0: And you do wonderful honour to every version of what the neighbours might be talking about with him wearing the shoes in in that play. And um, uh, I looked at a lot of different shoes on on the way in here. And uh, Michael, thank you so much for... Such a great night out and um, a great chat in.
1: You're welcome.